But uh, the song, I'll Be Home for Christmas, have you ever listened to the lyrics to that? It says, I'll be home for Christmas, you can count on me. Oh, okay, sweet. So we have a guaranteed reservation here, okay? Please have snow. Well, I don't control that. And mistletoe. Why? You want to, what's going on there? And presents under the tree. Okay, I'll get you something. That's cool. Uh, Christmas Eve, you'll find me where the love light gleams. Great. Okay, you'll, I will find you there. I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. Wait a minute. You told me that I could count on you. I've been planning, I've been praying for snow, I bought you a gift under the tree, mistletoe, then all of a sudden I found out this is just in your head? Isn't that weird? (laughs) It's hilarious, I love, I encourage you, look up the lyrics of Christmas songs, some of them are really, really funny. Um, So we're we're, uh, continuing our series, our Christmas series uh, this year, called Navy Socks and Aftershave. Navy socks and aftershave, and, and the, the reason uh, I'm calling it that is because it's, it's, it's about the things that you really want for Christmas. Um, if you were here last week, you heard the story. When I was a kid, my dad, and he's not here, he'll be here second service probably, but my dad, uh, when we said, hey, hey, pops, what, what can we get you? You know, we were like little kids. What can we get you for Christmas? What can we get you for uh, your birthday? And he would always say, navy socks and aftershave, and navy socks, because that's what he wore to work every day, and aftershave he used that nasty green aqua velva stuff um and you know and we, you would do that i remember watching him shave and use that stuff and and so that's what he wanted and and it dawned on me later on in life the reasons why he would tell us navy socks and aftershave he didn't really need those things and we learned last week that one of the reasons he did that is because dad was content he had learned the secret of contentment is what the apostle paul calls it in philippians 4 he said, I've learned the secret of content, contentment, and we define contentment as the state of needing nothing because you know you already have everything. The state of needing nothing because you know you already have everything. Look, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, this is such an awesome time to be a believer. We get to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And we get to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that no matter what life throws at us, whether we're in a season of want or a season of plenty, that we have everything we need in Jesus Christ. Right? And so, so that contentment is something that, that I learned by watching my mom and my dad. They modeled it in front of me, and, and it came out in the form of navy socks and aftershave. There's another reason why my dad um, said, would say navy socks and aftershave, and it's the concept of relationship. The concept of relationship, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. See, as a kid, as a six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, I didn't have the resources to get dad what he really wanted right? Even if he did give me a request and I got him what he wanted, I was using his money to buy it. So it's not too much of a gift for him. Um, But what he did is he gave us an easy task so that we could be involved in the process of a relationship with him. He gave us a really easy task, which we would run to mom, say, hey, we need to go buy some navy socks and aftershave. But he gave us an easy task because he wanted us involved in his life. There was a relationship uh, between 
uh, him and his children that he wanted us to have. And in order to have that relationship, we had to be active. We had to have a role to play, right? And so in the same way, I want to remind you this morning that Christmas is all about the fact that God wants a relationship with you. He doesn't just want you to believe the right facts about him, although that's important. We, as Christians, should know the basics of our, our, our foundational theology. And there are too many Christians out there that just copy and paste from a website instead of actually knowing the word themselves. But it's not even about knowing the right facts. It's about having a relationship. See, God did not, he was not content to just be a superior being. He, he, although he is. He was not just content to be creator, although he is. He, he wasn't just content to be lawgiver and, and the morality police and tell us how to live. That, God, God didn't create us so we could tell a bunch of people what to do. He created us to have fellowship with him, to have relationship with him. Think about this. I, I'm gonna, we're going to have some scripture up on the screen here. And, and I want you, y- y'all have heard John chapter 1. We're about to read it, uh, a couple of verses. I'm going to pick a few verses out. But have you, have you heard Jesus referenced as the word of God? The word? Yeah, look at this. It's John chapter 1. We're going to read verse 1 and we're going to read verse 14. And you can go back and read the whole chapter. It's, it's pretty awesome. Go ahead and put on your thinking cap, as they used to say in elementary school, and, because it's pretty deep. All the other gospels, and a gospel is just an account of the life of Jesus. All the other gospels start with like lineages and like the story of the birth. John kicks his off with like just describing and just saying, hey, Jesus is God and here's why. Okay, it's pretty deep. But, but I want you to read this uh, along with me. John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning the Word already existed. Wait, what are we talking about? The Word, what? But then he keeps going. The Word was with God. Okay, so the Word has something to do with God. And the Word was God. Okay. All right, so this is some pretty... Deep philosophical, philosophical stuff, all right? So, in the beginning, the word already existed. So, okay, beginnings are the beginning, but the word predated the beginning. Right? So, time is just the context in which humanity operates, and the creator of time is not bound by time. God is the uncreated one. So, in the beginning, the word already existed. Jesus existed before the rest of us did, okay? And the word was with God, so there was relationship. When you're with something, that means that there's more than one, right? We call this the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, okay? And and the word was with God, and if it's not clear enough already, the word was God, (laughs) So, so Jesus is the word, and, and the next verse will just seal it in case there's any doubt whatsoever who he's talking about. But we need to understand that Jesus existed in the beginning. His life didn't start uh, when he was born to Mary. He existed before that, okay? He already existed. He was with God, and he was God. And then verse 14 says, So the word became human, And made his home among us. This is the Christmas story. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory. The glory of the Father's one and only 
son. So Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is God. Jesus was with God. And Jesus predates all of us. That's kind of cool, isn't it? I, I like worshiping a God that's better than me, that's bigger than me. Right? If you got your God all in a box and compartmentalized and you know exactly what he's going to do, you got a pretty weak God. I like a big God. I like a God that I have to scratch my head and say, no, wait a minute. <laughs> right? Because if I can figure him out, he's not all that great. So I like that about the Lord. Now, I, I want to hone in on this word, word. Now, in the Greek, the word here is logos. This is the word that we use for writing down words. So John, who knew Jesus very, very, very well, by the way, was practically his best friend. I mean, he, Jesus, had, y'all know that Jesus had way more than 12 disciples. Y'all know that? He had a bunch of disciples. He actually sent 70 out on a mission trip. Uh, there were hundreds that he appeared to after he, uh, after he resurrected from the dead. He had 12 disciples that we know the names of. And then of the 12, he had three that were really close. And really, out of those three, man, John was his man. John was right there with him. John was the one that he looked at Mary and said, Mary, here's your son now. And he looked at John and said, John, this is your mama now. Take care of my mama. I got to go take care of stuff. I got to go save the world. Take care of my mom, bro. Right? So that's what he's saying. So John knew Jesus really, really well. Really, really well. And he refers to him. Think about it. It's his chance to tell the whole world about what he knows about his, his friend, Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word. He calls him the Word. Now think about this. Just think about this. A Word exists to be read. How many of you read a book before? Hey, we all get to raise our hand in church this morning. Whether you were forced or you wanted to, you've read a book. Inside the pages of that book or, in, or on the, 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 the internet page, web browser you have open, you have words. And these words exist for a purpose, right? A word is meant to be read. The author doesn't just put random words on the page hoping you figure out what's in their head. They put specific words on the page meant to tell you what, what they want you to know. So a word is meant to be read. It's meant to be understood. Jesus is the word. The word, Jesus, came to be read. He came to be understood by you. He came to have interaction with you. There's a role that you have when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. I mean, God wrote down his, his word. So you got the word Jesus. You got the word the Bible, which the Bible testifies of Jesus. But you guys know owning a Bible isn't enough, is it? You can own a Bible. You can, you can be given a Bible from birth, a pink one or a blue one, depending. And it's got your name, and it's got the date, and it's got your, your, I don't know why we like gold lace our names on it. We don't do that with anything else. But you got your Bible, right? You, you can live your entire life and own that Bible. It can even be put in a prominent position in your house. But if you don't read the thing, it doesn't matter. And so the wor- words are meant to be read, and, and Jesus is the word. And he was meant to be experienced. He, was, he wrote himself into the story of humanity and said, come, read who I am. Now, I'm not even talking about the Bible. Read, th- read the truth of what God is like, of, of what I'm like when I insert myself into the story. 
Guys, Jesus is the word that was meant to be read. He was the word that was meant to be experienced. So I want to walk with you through. Y'all are going to be so proud of me. I have two points this morning. Y'all know, you know, pastor's supposed to have a three-point sermon. Or you've heard of that. I've got two. You can handle two, right? Okay. You can do it. So I want to give you some steps to relationship with the Lord. Steps to a relationship with God. First, we've got to see him as he really is. See him as he really is. You can make your way to Colossians 2.9. And on our way there, um, I want to bring up an illustration here. See, truthfulness in a relationship is important. It's, it's a common theme. If you begin to think about it, you'll, you'll, you'll see this. It's a common theme in movies, in TV shows, in the entertainment that we watch, even in Shakespearean plays, where guy meets girl, guy is scared, so guy lies to girl, girl falls in love with guy, guy then goes, oh no, our whole relationship is based on a lie, right? This is very familiar, right? Guy hides the truth, girl finds out the truth, because guys, women always find out the truth. They do. Woman gets mad at guy for not telling the truth. Conflicts, oh, life is bad. Something good happens, resolution, guy owns up to the truth, and then they live happily ever after. You've heard that story before, right? All right. So we know intrinsically, we put it in our entertainment, that truthfulness in a relationship is really important. Truthfulness is really important. As a matter of fact, when we're given instructions, Jesus gives us some, uh, some instructions on worship. In John chapter 4, he's talking with a woman uh, at the well, and he says those uh, who want to worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. I'm going to have time to get off in that, but, but you need to understand, in, in an intimate relationship, truthfulness is important, right? Those of you that are married or know, it's devastating when you find out an untruth, about your spouse that they neglected to tell you. And you hear it from someone else. You're like, whoa. I mean, it's, it's it, because the whole relationship is predicated, is based on truthfulness. Well, to have a relationship with God, we must know what he's like. We have to know what he's really like. Our relationship with God requires that we know what he's like. So how do we know what he's like? Well, we need an illustration. We need something to help us. Now, think for a second. Now, we're talking about God, right? We already defined him, and it was all confusing, but he was, he was... He was before, he was with God, he was God, he, all these, okay. God is a little bit unknowable, ununderstandable sometimes, right? Okay. Think about the sun. If you were to go outside and stare at the sun, which I don't recommend this, by the way. Kids, I don't recommend this. If you were to go outside and stare at the sun, two things would happen. First of all, you're not going to get a really good glimpse of the sun. Its glory is too much. It's too bright. It's too much for you to handle. And second of all, you could probably hurt yourself. Right? Many of you grew up with your mom saying, don't stare at the sun. Right? I don't know. That was my mom voice. That's not what my mom sound like. Uh, that was, I don't know where that came from. But that was my mom voice. Just You can take it or reject it, okay? That's what I have this morning. But yeah, our, our, our mom, don't stare at the sun, right? It's going to burn your eyes out, right? And, cause, and she was correct because she was trying to protect you. But 
if you want to look at the sun, you're going to need some sort of filter. You're going to need something, a telescope, something to even get up close. Because if you were to stare at the sun, you're too far away to even, you know, the sun's got, it's like moving. It's not like a, a stationary thing. It's got like, like these, uh, you know, solar flares and, and sunspot, all these different things. Like it's moving. It's a big old ball of hot gas. And, and so if you, if you look at it from a distance, you can't see that movement and you'll hurt yourself. But if you use a filter... You can get up closer to it and you can see what the sun really looks like and it won't damage you. Because Jesus is the filter that we view the Father through. You want to see the Father, but if you were to look at the Father, Scripture says this, if you see me, it'll kill you. Y'all heard the Scripture before, no man has seen the Father. We can't handle, in this temporary human state, we can't handle the fullness, the glory of the Father. It'd kill us. And you see instances where people all throughout the Old Testament actually ask. As a matter of fact, Moses asked God, hey, show me your glory. And God's like, I can't do that, man. Like, you will croak. You cannot handle it. But what he does is he hides him in a rock, and he, and he passes before him, and he lets him look on his backside, which is a little weird, if I'm being honest. The day the Lord mooned Moses, that was, that's what happened. Because he couldn't handle, he couldn't handle all of them, right? He couldn't handle all of them. He had to, uh, he, he had to hide him. And, and you know, even even just seeing just a, just a little bit, he was just like, what? Wow. And so we can't handle the fullness of God. We we can't do it. And we read scripture. You look at the Old Testament. You're like, God, why was God so angry? It seemed, and why was He instructing people to do seemingly terrible things? And and, and it's confusing. And then you know the, those people that are against our faith, they you they throw it in our face and rah, 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 your Bible. Rah, rah. They do all that kind of stuff, and it's like, look, if you want to know what God is like, like if you want to sit down and talk about some of the Old Testament verses, we can do that, okay? But if you really want to know what God is like, you need a filter. He's too big. He's too bright. It'll hurt you. Jesus is your filter. Jesus is what you can use to get up close and see the details of what God is like. And, and he is the point of contact and relationship. Look at this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. I love this whole passage of Scripture. It's so cool. But this is it. Very easily, I'm reading the New Living Translation. It says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. In Christ, in Jesus, lives the fullness, the totality of God. This huge God that, that it would blind us if we were to look on him. It, 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 we can't even understand. what God, why are you this way? We, you know, we, we don't understand it. Well, but all the fullness of who God is dwells in Jesus. Jesus is our filter. He's the, kind of like the cliff notes. Anyone use cliff notes instead of reading the real book in school? Yeah, everyone's like, yeah, cliff notes. All the teachers are like, no, no cliff notes. Jesus is the filter, right? Jesus is the filter that we need to understand God. See, God revealed his desire to be with you by coming to you. God was like, these people don't get me. They don't understand. They're offering sacrifices and doing all this stuff. And, and to obey is better than sacrifice. David, David got it. But he's like, oh, these people, they don't get me. And, he, and he's sending prophets and he's writing texts and he's doing all these different things. And he's, he's raising up judges and he's doing all these different things to try to get his children to understand what he's like. And finally he goes, all right, enough. Jesus, go. Show them what I'm really like. Show them what I'm really like. If you, and that's why Jesus said um, at one point before the end, before Jesus is killed, he's with his disciples. 
and I believe it's Philip who says, just show us the Father. Jesus, will you show us the Father? And Jesus' response is, hey, you're looking, you're looking at me. How, how, can you say, how can you look at me and say, show me the Father? I and the Father are one. So Jesus, Jesus revealed his desire to you, his desire for you. By coming to you. See, all other religions, all other spiritual paths require us to come to God. You need to pray a certain amount of times a day, bowing in a certain direction. You have to do all these different things in order to make God happy with you. Christianity is the only one that says, hey, God loves you. He's happy with you. He's, he's, he's going to come to you. And immediately when I say that, some of you are like, but don't you have to act right? Yes, you have to act right. But you won't be able to act right until you know Jesus anyway. So you come to him first. And then he teaches you and shows you and empowers you how to act right. Don't get the works on the other side. I need to bring out the salvation equation sometime. We need to do that again. But, but so, so do you understand that we have to see God, if you want a relationship with God, you've got to see God how he really is. And Jesus is the way. All spiritual paths are not equal. All spiritual paths don't lead to the same destination. It's just not true. It's just logically not true. All it takes is five minutes of study of world religions. And anyone that says all religions are the same, they, they haven't done just the most basic study. Because it's just not true. So God says, here's Jesus. I'm sending myself to you in a form that you can understand. Because if you were to see me in my, in my fullness, it would destroy you. And with the events of Christmas, it's why we're gathered this morning. It's why we're celebrating. With Christmas, God comes to us. He comes to us. Amen? Here's the second step, point number two. Come close to him. Come, so you have to know who he is. You have to have an accurate representation. See him as he really is. And secondly, you have to come close to him. James chapter 4, verse 8. You can turn there if you want to. I'll just quote it to you real quick. It says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. The New Living Translation says, come close to me and I will come close to you. Now, this is what, I I was studying the scripture and I heard this so clearly. The Lord said this to me years ago and it just changed, it it just changed everything for me. I was reading, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And and, uh, there's this idea that we have. You know, if, if, if I say, if you're in Atlanta and I'm here in, in Thomasville and you say, well, like, we'll, we'll, we'll meet each other. That means we're probably going to meet somewhere around Macon or something, right? About a halfway point. Jesus doesn't say meet me halfway, does he? He says just, just draw near. Guys, I believe the moment we take one step of faith towards the Lord, he rushes the rest of the way. He's looking, he's looking for that one step in his direction from you. He's just looking for something, just one act of faith. Because faith without works is dead. You can't say you believe and not have corresponding action with that belief. That one step in his direction. He doesn't say how, how far you have to come. See, God did all the heavy lifting for your salvation. He, he did all the big stuff that had to be done. He even came up with the idea of salvation. You didn't come up with the idea of salvation. He did. He did everything that you need for your salvation. You don't have to be born of a virgin. You don't have to be crucified. You don't have to raise from the dead. Although if you believe in Jesus, you will raise from the dead, by the way. But 
he, he did all the heavy lifting. Um, when, when my oldest son, Ethan, was young, he was probably around four or five, we were going to the beach with my parents, and, and uh, we were, I was unloading the car. I was in dad mode. You know, oh, I made this much time. and uh, Supposed to be there in three hours. It was two hours and 45 minutes, and gas mileage, rah, rah, you know. I was in man mode, and so I was ready, so ready to un- unload the, the suitcases, right? I'm like, oh, man mode, unload the suitcase, and get it done, we're here, you know. So my son, he's like four, four or five, and I think Eva had just been born. My son's like, Daddy, I want to help. Now, you guys know when your kids try to help you with something, they aren't really helping, <laughs> right? But he didn't really want to help as much as he just wanted to be with me. So I'm like, okay, buddy, okay, buddy, I, you know, you can help. So I get this big suitcase, it just happened to be in my hand, and so he takes one end. Now, he's four or five. He, he didn't have enough strength at all to lift it. I mean, I'm like holding both ends for him. All he's got, he's just got his hand on the suitcase, and he's walking with me upstairs like, yeah, that's right. I'm helping Dad. I'm like, no, actually, you're blocking my way, because if I had just held it this way... Right? I was doing all the heavy lifting for him, but I love my son, and I wanted to be in relationship with him. I wanted him to have a role. So I let him put his hand on the suitcase and act like he was helping me. And it was funny because the Lord spoke to me, and, and it was funny, uh, to, to dad and mom afterwards. We were actually talking about it. We are like, wow. They, they watched that happen. Like, wow, that's, that's what God does with us. He does all the heavy lifting. He just lets us be a part Look, you get the easy job. You get the easy job. Your easy job is faith. It's just to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. To believe that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. He's going to save you. He's going to redeem you. You know, many times we don't draw near to God because we're ashamed because of sin that's in our life. Things have, things have worked their way in and unknowingly it's gotten in our hearts and we feel so ashamed and so unworthy. But Jesus promised. He said, I will cleanse you. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He doesn't say if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins if you cleanse yourself from all unrighteousness. He doesn't say that. He'll cleanse you of your unrighteousness. But you have to confess. You have to draw near in faith. You have to believe. It's not the hardest part, but it is a part. You do have a role. You do have to at least touch the suitcase. Right? You have a role. You get the easy job. You get the navy socks and aftershave. That's all he's asking. Just to believe. To believe him. I want to read this passage uh, we commonly quote this. It's, it's Romans 10, 9, and 10. I'm actually going to back it up to verse 8. It says, If you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto salvation, and with the mouth, uh, confession is made unto salvation. And, and it, it, it's, it's, one of the, it's part of the Romans road. It's a verse that you may have heard before. But, but I, I want to read it to you in the message. Now, if, you, if you're not familiar with the message, the message is a paraphrase of the Bible. It's not a word-for-word translation. If you read only the message, you won't get the fullness of the word of God because it's every word isn't translated. It's general thoughts, okay? But I, I feel like this captures it so well. I really want you guys to see this. 
about the Lord's desire for a relationship and how salvation works. It's the word of faith that welcomes God to go to work and set things right. See, it's your faith. It's the welcome. You, you put out the welcome mat, mat to the Lord. He is willing. He is able. And you put out your faith as a welcome mat. See, Lord, I believe. Okay? It's the word of faith that welcomes God to go to work and set things right for you. This is the core of our preaching. Say the welcoming word to God. Jesus is my master. Jesus is Lord. Lord, you are in charge. Now notice the welcoming word to God isn't like, Lord, uh, I want to live the way I want to the rest of my life and just put you in my back pocket for fire insurance so I don't go to hell. That's not Christianity. That's just religious stuff. And that's not true biblical Christianity. The the word, there's no no magic words. It's a condition of the heart. And the condition of the heart is Jesus is my master. He's my leader. I follow him. He's number one. I'm number two. Embracing body and soul. God's work of doing in us what he did in raising Jesus from the dead. See, God wants to get this. What God did with Jesus, raised him from the dead, gave him new life, living eternally, is exactly what he wants to do with you. Hey, that's good news. Right? That's good news. God wants to do that work, but he's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on you. That's not love. He's not going to force himself. He's waiting for you to roll out the welcome mat of faith. Let's keep reading. That's it. You're not doing anything. You're simply calling out to God, trusting him to do it for you. That's salvation. With your whole being, you embrace God setting things right, and then you say it right out loud. God has set everything right between him and me. Isn't that good? That's it. You're not doing anything. You're simply believing that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. You're you're rolling out the welcome mat of faith. And in this Christmas season, we celebrate his heavy lifting. We celebrate what he did for us. So as we end, I want to leave you with this final question. I want to challenge you. I want you to take this to heart. God took incredible steps to have a relationship with you. Are you willing to do what it takes to have a relationship with him? Are you willing to do what it takes? Look, he's done all the heavy lifting, but you, you, you do need to... You do need to touch the suitcase. You do need to put your hand on. You do need to be. You do do need to answer his invitation, his offer to be your savior. There is a faith response. He he loves you. He's revealed to you what he's really like through Jesus. He's not mad at you. He's not counting down the days until he strikes you with lightning or something because you messed up. He knows you messed up. He wouldn't have killed his son for perfect people. He killed his son for those scriptures as well. We were still sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. Sorry, you're ungodly. (laughs) You ever heard someone say that? Well, that's ungodly. Hey, we're ungodly. 
By ourselves, left alone, we're ungodly. But with Jesus, we are made righteous. We are made godly in him. Look, he has drawn near. Look, are you, it just, it's just a step. Just draw near to him. Maybe it practically, and you say, well, I'm a believer, Jamie. Hey, that's wonderful. Draw near every morning. Just, just take a verse of the scripture and meditate on it daily. Say, say, how can I act like Jesus today? Maybe you maybe you 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 slip some money to the, the to the uh, to the the bag boy. I don't think they let you do that at some places, but you know what I'm saying. You just bless someone. Well, I don't have money. Well, then you pray. Can I pray for you? How can I pray for you today? I want to be like my dad. I want to I, I want to be like Jesus. You just draw near. He's done all the hard stuff. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.